So kingdom stewardship. Last week, we sort of cracked open this conversation about the kingdom, and uh, uh, Pastor Casey talked about kingdom and also talked about kingdom stewardship. And so what we want to do today is sort of zoom a little bit deeper into what this means, and eventually where we're going to land, where we're going to land today is is where the church's role stands uh, in the kingdom of God. And so uh, we're going to be in a a certain group of scriptures in the book of Matthew here in just a moment. But uh, what is the kingdom of God? Like if we had, there's there's this phrase that we read of in the Bible a whole lot, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? And this is how we defined it. The kingdom of God is the realm where God reigns supreme and Jesus is king. All right, there's two kingdoms that we're dealing with. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is something that's very easy for us to understand. It's tangible. It's right here in front of us. Okay, we live in the kingdom of the world. We can see it. We can hear it. We, we see it on the news. We, we understand how the kingdom of the world operates because we we're in the kingdom of the world. But we as believers, if you believe in Jesus and you put your faith in him, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, but you are also a citizen of the kingdom of the world, Right? So the way I'll put it like to you is like this. Like I went on a trip to Cuba a couple of years ago and uh, what, a, what a strange place. I, I didn't know a lot about Cuba. One of the things that I didn't realize is that they, they still have cars from like the 60s and 50s everywhere. And so we get out the airport and we walk out the airport and which the airport was horrible, but we get out and, and there's all these old cars everywhere. And my mind was blown. I'm like, <laughs> was this cruising the coast? You know, that's kind of what it felt like it would look like, except really trashy old cars. And, and that's where I learned about all of the embargoes and different things where, you know, as far as trade goes, uh, where, you know, you, you can't just go buy a new car. You can't just go, you know, bring your car and get it worked on somewhere. No, it's like they've t- taken the same cars and repurposed them forever. So anyway, uh, we're, we're riding in this car and it was so small. I don't know what kind of car it was. I had never seen it before, but it was powered by like propane or something. I don't know, there's a big old tank in the back and that's actually what was fueling the car. It was very dangerous. There was nothing about anything that was going on that was environmentally sound. It was horrible. And so we're like, you know, super tight, like just two huge guys on either side of me. We just got done playing baseball. And so, uh, so I'm riding and, and this guy had Cokes. Now he said he had Coke, Coke, but it wasn't Coke. I don't know what this thing was. It was like, like off-brand, like, like flat Dr. Dr. Check. I don't know. It was bad though. And uh, so he hands us this, this can of something. And, uh, but we're so, we're so thirsty. So we're drinking it. Well, we get done. And, you know, it's a bunch of Americans. We got one translator and, and this, you know, this Cuban guy. And, uh, and we're like, hey, you got a trash can or something? And so they talk, you know, and he's like, oh, he takes it. He just throws it out the window. <laughs> and we're like, whoa. It's like, you can do that here? And so we told the guy, we said, hey, man, if you do that in America, like, you get fined if you get caught. You know, you get fined. Like, it's, it's littering. And he just started laughing. He just laughed at us. He just laughed and laughed. And we were like, we should be laughing at you. Like, you know, you just threw trash into your street, you know? Why? That is a massive cultural difference. Here, our culture is we take care of our land and, and like, you know, we don't throw trash out there and all that kind of, that, well, hopefully we don't. If you do, please stop. Come on, man. Let's, like... <laughs> Yeah, come on. Jeez. Every time it floods around here, it's just the ditches, like it just brings it all. And you're just like, yep, there's Mississippi, you know. <laughs> but anyway, pick up your trash. Pick up other people's trash. It'd be nice. Uh, however, anyway, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But cultural difference, right? So in Cuba, you throw your trash out. In America, you don't. 
And it was, it was a lot of things like that. I realized how much I was not a part of their culture. And so what it is, is we're sort of like Americans who go to Cuba, as far as people who are in the kingdom of God living in the kingdom of the world meaning that we think differently. We are a citizen of heaven, but we are here on this earth. Do you ever feel like you just don't think like all the people around you, right? Like, like morally, your morals are different. The way that you live your life in regards to the, the, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God, it's different. And you kind of feel like you don't fit in all the time. Well, that's because if you're a believer, you really don't. You're, the Bible talks about how we are in the world, but we're not of it. And that concept, that mentality is something that really makes us stand apart. So uh, this understand, understanding is also huge in order for you to reorient your life around being a citizen of the kingdom of God. I think a lot of people, uh, they claim Christianity or they claim that they are a part of the kingdom of God, but there is no difference between the way that they live their life and the way that, 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 that people who don't believe in God live their life. There's, there's no difference. And I think sometimes it's because their mentality hasn't changed. They're actually unaware of the fact that they are in the world, but not of it. They're in the world and they become like the world. Or they were in the world, they step into the kingdom of God, but they maintain all of these old and they bring all of these old ways of thinking into the kingdom of God. And that's really not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to stand out. We're going to be different. But this revelation of the kingdom of God is really what Jesus talks to Peter and his disciples about in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 16. And again, that's kind of where we're going to be today. So if you want to turn there or look there in your Bible, if you've got a Bible app, you can, you can open it up. You can even go to more and go to events and click on Northwood Church and, and uh, some of our notes are there so you can follow along. But Matthew chapter 16, we're going to dig into this revelation of being in the kingdom of God and what that means. In verse 13, it says this, now, when Jesus came into the, the district of Caesarea Philippi, we're going to stop right here. You're like, let's keep going. Don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. It's going to be super slow today. Kind of. Because this right here, I, I think it would help us a lot if we understand what this area, what this city actually looked like. This place right here was the center, the religious center of the worship of a Greek god named Pan. All right, now you guys might have heard of Pan. And this area was a place in that area, it was a cave. And this was actually referred to as the gates of hell, which if you know the scriptures that are coming up in a second, you'll, you're gonna make all the connections a little bit too quickly, but I wanna kind of put it out here so you can understand what's going on. There was a temple right here at this cave where they would worship the god Pan. And this god was uh, half goat, half human, and uh, I'm not going to get into details about how they would worship Pan. You can go do your own research. We're going to keep it PG here today. But it was extremely sexual. It was extremely uh, immoral. It was, a, it was a center point for this worship. And Jesus takes his disciples. Now, I want you all to picture just some good old like I'm talking like 18-year-old like church kids, never been anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? You might know I was kind of one of those kids. So um, picture me whenever I was like 17. And Jesus takes his disciples who are young, they're young men, they're Jews. They haven't been ex exposed to a, a ton of things. And he takes them to this place. He takes them to this city. And now they, <laughs> they knew about this city. 
okay? So can you imagine whenever Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to this place, that they probably were like, Jesus, why do you want to take us to this place, you know? That's where the pagans are. And he's like, I know, we're going we're gonna to take a little trip. And so they go, and they're standing in this place. There's pagans everywhere. Can you imagine they're walking down the market and through the market, and there's just false gods everywhere, and all right? You got you to put yourself here. And Jesus takes his disciples here, and he goes on, and he says this. This is so bold. He's standing there, and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They're like, Jesus, are we going to do this right here? This is where we're going to do it right here. He's like, yeah, we're going to do this right here. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus looks at him and he says this, but who do you say that I am? What an important question, right? What did the crowd say? That, that's great. But who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter replies. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, a lot of times whenever we read scripture, we sort of just read a verse like that and we keep going. And I think some of us right now, we're sort of like, you know, what's, what's next? But what happens is we fail to realize the significance of what Peter just said. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was a massive revelation. And Jesus knew it and Jesus recognized it and Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter has this revelation and this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, is something that we all need to have. This is the crux of the matter. Do y'all remember whenever we did the series, What Do You Believe, last year? And we talked about what do you believe about Jesus? And we talked about all of the things that Jesus claimed to be and who Jesus claimed to be and, and, and what he was claiming to do and the prophecies he was claiming to fulfill. And that was actually the main reason why Jesus was crucified. This is the revelation that Jesus is talking about. This is the revelation that Peter is speaking. And so this moment is not something that's just like, okay, let's flip the page and keep going. Jesus in this moment, standing where he's standing says, this right here is a big deal. So let's park here and let's talk about it. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on in verse 18, he says, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's amazing. Jesus pairs the revelation of him as Christ with the birth, the start of the church. And he says, upon this rock, I believe what he's referring to there is this rock of revelation, this bedrock foundation of our doctrine. Upon this rock, this sure rock, I'm going to build the church. Now, the church is a word that is highly misunderstood. And I think right now, even most of us, we're like, I'm at church. And I'm not going to say you're wrong when you say that. I would say the same thing. However, if that's where your understanding of what the church is stops, you're missing the the real meaning of it. You're missing the real point of it. And I think over the last few years, uh, I, I think the church has done a good job of trying to redefine this word. Instead of it meaning a building, it meaning people. And we are the church. And simply put, the church at its most basic level is a group of people united by faith in the gospel of Jesus. If we could just summarize it, it's a group of people united by faith in the gospel. 
And that's why there's a lot of different churches because there is a big C church, like capital C church, the universal church, okay? All of those all across the world who believe in Jesus, who've put their faith in him. And then we are split up into a lot of smaller churches, buildings or smaller communities, however you like to think about it. And this is a gathering of believers. This is a church. And so we are a church, but we are a part of the bigger church. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that. I, I think it's a big deal because we have a lot of churches and we have a lot of different denominations. And so what happens is it's like, oh, you're a part of that church. Oh, oh you go over there. Or, or people come here and then they leave and they go to another church. And we have all of this like transferring all the time. We have different denominations, people who interpret the word differently. But did you know that we're all the church? Like whether somebody goes to Baptist church or Pentecostal church or whatever church, we're still the church. I've got really good friends who interpret the Bible differently than I do outside of who Jesus is. And we're friends. We're part of the church. There's some essential things that we must believe in to be the church. And there's some non-essential things that we cannot see exactly eye to eye and still be in unity together. Right? And that's our approach. That's how we see it. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my gathering of believers, people who are united by faith in what you just said, Peter. A big moment. But a lot of people think, unfortunately, in our culture that you can be a member of the church. And by being a member of the church, and what I mean by that is a local church, a building like this, showing up that that automatically makes you a member of the big church and the deal is this you you can you can come to church and be a member of a church with your feet but you can only be a member of the church with your faith so a lot of people are showing up with their feet it's religion and i'm here and i'm i'm doing the thing but but it's only by faith that you are a part of the the church and in our culture, we've got to really say these things consistently or we will, we will be duped. Especially if you were raised in church. It's sort of like I'm doing the Sunday thing. I, I think that even on days like today, that we get preoccupied and, and we, we, we misunderstand or we miss what we're doing right here. Like I know the saints play in an hour and 10 minutes. Like I get that. But right now, the church, right? The church that Jesus, he's building right now is gathering together. This is amazing. All over the world right now, in, in, in houses, in big buildings, in, in the side of a mountain, people are gathering all over the world, the body of Christ, the church, the called out ones, meeting together to encourage one another, to, to, to declare truth, to teach the word, to pray together, to minister to one another. It's amazing. And we can miss that. We can overlook it. We can say, man, when's it going to get done? And a lot of times it, lasts, it lacks anticipation and expectation. I think that's what happens a lot of times whenever we gather, is that there's a lack of expectation. There's a lack of anticipation. It's sort of like, oh, I'm just going to kind of meander in and just be here, rather than realizing how amazing this is. Jesus is starting his church right here. Now, your faith, your faith is a response 
Faith is a response to something that you have heard. Jesus teaches who he is and his disciples did you, I mean, do you ever think about this? They had to put their faith in Jesus. They had to respond to what Jesus said and believe it and reorient their life around it. And that's what Peter is saying that he's doing right here, right now. And this revelation makes you a part of something bigger than yourself. A revelation of Jesus as the Christ brings citizenship in the kingdom of God. So the church is the people, right? And the church is in the kingdom of God. The church and the kingdom of God are not really synonymous. It's kind of two separate conversations, two separate words. But the church is in the kingdom of God. And that's why I say just being a member of a church with your feet is different than being a member of the church with your faith. Because by faith, you are then united with other people and by faith, and you become a part of the church. And by that, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Verse 18 says this, and we just read it says, the gates of hell won't prevail. How many of you have heard that part of the, of the scripture before? Right, the gates of hell. Now we say it, we declare it. But I think in light of the fact of where Jesus is standing with his disciples and knowing that that cave in that area was referred to as the gates of hell, doesn't that change what Jesus was saying? Right? I don't know if it does for you, it does for me. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And the way that I receive that, the way that I read that is that the gates of hell, meaning false religions, meaning immorality, meaning the things that we see that don't quite line up with how things we think things should be, that won't prevail against the church. And I think we need to hear that today because the church in the last couple of years, honestly, is full of some of the most fearful people that I know. Fearful. Things start changing economically, politically, whatever the case is, and we freak out. We freak out. Things change, and the church are some of the most fearful people. And so people can begin to attack one another. I'm talking about in the church. Like, I'm not talking about outside the church. I'm talking about in the church. Divisions start, relationships break down, fear takes over, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, I said I was gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Why are you so scared? Like, why are you scared? Now, I don't want my way of life to change either. I, I, love, I, love the, the, I like the things about my life. However, there is greater importance. There is a bigger thing going on than what we see around us. And whenever things happen in the church, the called out ones united by faith in Jesus begin to tear one another. I think it's a horrible representation to the world, to the kingdom of the world. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. I'm like, what are we doing, man? I feel like we just forget the scripture. I feel like we forget what's really going on and we begin to turn on one another. Now, how much more outside of that as the kingdom of, of God, the people, citizens of the kingdom of God, to people who are citizens of the kingdom of the world, should we represent the love of God? How much more? You could disagree with people, and I've said this a thousand times. You could disagree with people well. You can. I don't think y'all really believe me. Did you know that you could disagree with somebody, and it doesn't mean that your relationship has to splinter? 
And, and, and if anybody splinters the relationship, I don't think that it should be the Christian. Jesus didn't, didn't attack lost people. Jesus didn't attack people. He wasn't the one. They rejected him. We're part of the kingdom of God. We think different. We think differently. So we love where other people don't love. Is there going to be fear that we're going to deal with? Yes, we're going to deal with fear. But I think we have to remember the words of Jesus. Don't fear false religions. Don't fear those things. Be aware of those things. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying ignore those things. But be aware of those things, but don't fear those things. We don't fear things in this world. We fear the one who can destroy our, our, our soul. We don't fear those who can destroy our bodies, right? That's what the scripture says. So the next thing is that citizenship in the kingdom requires responsibility. So we've talked about kingdom and citizenship in the kingdom, but there is this uh, uh, this. this topic all throughout scripture that speaks about stewardship, about how we should steward our lives well, and how we should steward what God has given us well. It's a recurring focus around it. And so whenever we talked about kingdom stewardship, as the church, we have responsibility in the kingdom. I, if I had to kind of, I try to think culturally when I talk about things like this. And so I think about us just sitting in this room right now and how we think about our responsibility as the church in the kingdom of God. And, and I think so many times we, we section off like this whole kingdom mindset and we retain this church mindset, but we just retain the church building part of the mindset. And so then what happens is when I talk about the church's responsibility to do things, many times what people think that means is the pastor or those really high level volunteers who really wanna give extra to the church. You see what I'm saying? I hope that made sense. And so we, we, we get away from the kingdom mindset and we get away from the fact that we're all the church. We section it off to just a building and then we're just like, okay, there's people who run that thing. And so those are the people that this is really talking about. Completely misunderstanding what the mentality is supposed to be. That the church, not Northwood Church, the church has a responsibility in the kingdom of God. Now, a steward is someone who manages another's property or, or money or whatever the case is. And so when we talk about stewardship in the kingdom of God, we don't own the kingdom of God. You don't own the kingdom of God. We manage what God has given us to manage. He owns it. For him, it's his ownership. It's our stewardship. Okay. And that's really how in the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig into us personally, that everything that we have, we believe ultimately comes from God. He is our source. And so we're everything in our life that we're stewarding. But when we talk about the kingdom and we talk about the church, the church has the responsibility to steward the kingdom of God. God's given us this ability. And, uh, you know, when it comes to stewardship, if you really trust somebody, you give them keys to whatever it is that you've entrusted to them, right? I think about it whenever you were a teenager and you got your license and your parents, the first time they gave you the keys to the car. Wasn't that a good day? That was a good day. It was a simpler day when I was 16. I remember I got my license and my parents were like, no, 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 you're, it's going to be a while before you get to go out by yourself. We got to know that we can trust you. And they gave me that whole spill. It was like on a Tuesday. And that Friday, 
I was like, maybe they'll let me go out Friday. So me and my buddy, we, uh, we had this plan, and we invited his little brother. I'm giving some, giving some, you know, some ideas to you younger people. Because we knew that if it was just me and him, my parents would say no. But if we brought along little brother, it might kind of sweeten the deal a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? So we bring his brother, and I went to my parents. I was like, hey, listen, me and so-and-so, we're going to bring his brother. Don't worry. But, like, could we go to a Seawolves game? How many Seawolves fans we have up in the place today? See! Oh, no. <laughs> How many of you have no idea what we're talking about right now? Oh. Man, we used to have hockey down the coast. We might have it again. hey I'm a big hockey fan. Only if it's, I'm actually there. But anyway. Man, we won the Kelly Cup back in like 2000-whatever. It was a good time. The Coliseum, like, actually used to be completely full of people from the coast. Imagine that. It's another time. Anyway, so we went to the Seawolves game, and I remember the moment that my mom or my dad, it was, I think it was collective, they were just like shaky hands, gave me the keys to the black Taurus wagon. <laughs> yeah. It was about two weeks later. You remember the whole Maze Road, 90 miles an hour thing? It was about two weeks later. Maybe they should have held onto those keys a little bit longer. But you give somebody keys. If somebody's house sits for you, you give them the keys. Man, what is it? It's like a sign of authority. It's a sign of responsibility. It says, hey, look, I'm trusting you with the keys to my house, to my car, to whatever. And this next scripture alludes to that. Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus gives us access to the kingdom of God by faith in him. He gives us access. All of the benefits of heaven, all the benefits of the kingdom, by faith, we lay hold to those things. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. With this revelation, we have the responsibility and the ability to declare the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and to walk in the power of that truth over sin and darkness by faith. So this, this declaration that Jesus is the Christ is not menial, it's not small, it's not something to shrug off, it's not something to go to the next thing. It is the crux of the matter. It is also by faith in that that we have authority to overcome death and the grave, to overcome sin and darkness. It's a big deal. And honestly, I don't know that we truly have the revelation of that. Why? Because whenever we say things like that, it sounds very religious and boring. And a lot of us, our facial expression doesn't even change. We're like, so what does this mean for me? Everything. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like... <laughs> We're always wanting something that's a little bit more tantalizing, something that's a little bit more intriguing, something that's a little bit more, I don't know, like just attractive. And the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, is the most attractive, hope-filled thing that you could experience. And so this revelation that I'm talking about, if you don't feel like you have that revelation, I want to encourage you, before we move on, I want to encourage you to seek God, to read the word, to seek God and say, Lord, would you make this real in my life? The same revelation that Peter had 
and could speak it out with boldness in front of the, the place that he was in. God, I want that. I want that. But you have to seek the kingdom of God. You have to seek the kingdom of God. And all of its righteousness and all the other things you want will be added. All right, what is the church's role in the kingdom of God? We're getting close to the end here. I want to read a quote that we said last week. I think it's really important for us to hear it again. It's a quote from a very famous theologian. It says this, It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest or expressed in this world before Christ comes is if we, the church, manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. The church, we, us, we are the outpost of the kingdom of God. We are sort of like the, the, the embassy, okay, in the kingdom of the world for the kingdom of God. And if we don't stand up and actually be the church in every sphere of our life, then the kingdom of God is not showed forth. It is not manifested. It is not expressed. God chose to break through into the natural realm through us, the church. Like that's his plan. I don't know exactly why he chose it that way. I think he would do a great job by himself, but he's included us, not just included us, he's given all of the responsibility to us to represent it well, to, to be uh, 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 truth sayers, to, to hold grace and truth and tension, to communicate the gospel generation after generation without fear and without compromise. God has given us this responsibility, y'all. This is, I mean, this is a big mandate, and it's not just me up here, it's us. It's all the churches that are meeting across the whole United States right now. Like we are holding this responsibility. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. God is planning on using us. If you feel some weight to that, good. We should. We should feel weight when it comes to this reality. The church is how God chose to express the kingdom to the world. So what is the church's role in the kingdom? I'm not going to like rock your world with what I'm about to say. It's, it's actually something that we all are really aware of. What is the church's role? Number one is to make disciples of people from every nation and background. Number one. Remember I said earlier we separate the kingdom, we separate the church, and we get it to the church, and then it's just like the pastor and some really high-level leaders who do certain things. This is what I'm talking about. What is the church's, what is our role in the kingdom of God? Number one, your role is to make disciples of people from every nation and background. That's your role, to make disciples, followers of Jesus, to teach people the way that Jesus taught us to live. Number two, to proclaim the gospel to all people, to proclaim to publicly proclaim. Making disciples sometimes can be a very personal one-on-one -on -one type of thing. Proclaiming is just like in everything that you do, in the way that you live your life, that you proclaim the gospel to all people. And I think it's very important that, you, that we remember to all people, not just the people that we connect with on a really good, close level, right? People that we understand, people that we don't understand. 
And the last thing is to teach people to obey Christ's commands. To obey Christ's commands. In the way that we live, we teach people, but in the way that we actually teach one-on-one, making disciples. This is how we do it. So take take these concepts and personalize them. How am I making disciples of people? How am I proclaiming the gospel? How am I teaching people to obey Christ's commands? Come on, right now, let's just take a few seconds and literally in your mind, think about this. How am I doing this? This past week, what did it look like in my life to do any of this? In the last month, have I done any of this? Have I ever done, done this personally? I'm not talking about being a, a part of a group of people who are. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting further past that. Like you. Because we do a lot of things corporately. We do. Right now, today, we're proclaiming the gospel. But it's not just about what we do corporately, man. It comes down to individually. How is this playing out for me? You have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Whether you knew it or not, walking into this place today, you did. Here at Northwood Church, here's how we kind of wrap this up. This is our mission statement. This is how we sort of say it here. That we build Christ-centered communities that help people to know God, to grow in Christ, and to go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. We build Christ-centered communities, whether that means different locations, four locations, whether it means our small groups, whether it means services like this. We build Christ-centered communities where people come together, united by faith in Jesus. And we help people who don't have faith in Jesus to know God. But not that just somebody would have this one revelation moment and then walk away in isolation, but no, we wanna help people grow in Christ to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of who God is and who God says they are. And then ultimately that, ultimately that people would then go in the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how he empowers them to go, to go preach Jesus until Jesus returns. There's no stopping to that. There's no moment where it, it's not like you retire from being in the kingdom of God, you retire from proclaiming the good news. No, we don't retire from this. I hope that today has maybe caused you to see what we're doing, to see the big picture, to be aware of this as a church, but also as people that we have been given the keys to the kingdom and we have a role to play and Jesus has chosen it that way. And I believe that there's some of you in this room, some watching online who are struggling with whether or not you really have faith in Jesus to begin with. And so you've realized today that maybe you're not really a part of the church. You might be a part of this church, but it doesn't mean that you're a part of the church by faith. See what I'm saying? And today you might want to make sure or, or, or actually give your life to God and surrender to him. And I want to give a moment for that to take place. So let's all bow our heads and get along with God. And if that's you and you're in this place today and you realize that you're far from Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter, who, you do, who do you say that I am? If you put yourself in Peter's shoes you don't really know what you would say. And today, you wanna put your faith in him. Now that you've heard the gospel, you've heard that Jesus has come, he died on the cross for you, 
to bring life to you. You want to receive that. You want to accept that and believe and place your life into that reality. Maybe there's a group of you today who you have believed that for a long time, but over the last few years, you've walked away from that. It's, it's, it is a reality in your heart, but your conduct and the way that you've been living your life has been far from that. And, and today you want to almost like recommit or restart. I believe we need fresh starts in our life. And today might be a day for you.